Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 138. I'm your host, Derek Moore, and back this week as my guest, my semi-permanent co-host, Jay Pestercelli. Jay is the CEO of Zega Financial and increasingly a uh, media darling in the financial uh, press. Uh, Jay, how are you doing today? Good. Thank you for that. Darling uh, might be a bit of an exaggeration, but it's great to be back. And I always try to bring up the Broken Pie Chart, you know, podcast in my media appearances. Yeah, I expect, uh, by the way, we, we were kind of off air, we were kind of laughing. Uh, you're, you're scheduled to be on uh, Mornings with Maria Bartiroma on Fox Business. Tomorrow, of course, when people are listening to this, it will have been in the past. Um, I think I think you're scheduled for around 7 a.m. So sadly, Jay, that's 4 a.m. on the West Coast. I may have to tape that one, but uh, I think I'll give you a pass on that one, buddy. You get a pass <laughs> on that. Yeah, the good news is you ever do like Bloomberg Europe? Uh, I'm in for that one. That's uh, I'm I'm still up sometimes. Our, our well, our Bloomberg schedule for the October 19th is uh, six and seven o'clock Eastern. You will definitely be up for that. Oh yeah, for sure. It it is funny too because living on the West Coast, you know, and it, and it's I I I've watched Bloomberg like before I go to bed because they're it's kind of their morning their Europe morning, and I watch it sometimes you know just to get a feel for stuff. I don't have CNBC World though. I don't know if you have that on on your. I don't. I don't. Right after uh, like after Kramer's on, then it starts to flip over to things like. Uh, what is it? Shark Tank and uh, some of the other primetime shows, right? That uh, yeah, yeah. I don't have the worldwide one. Yep, I watch yeah. Bloomberg for the overnight stuff too. Yep, exactly. You know, Bloomberg's a little more technical too. I know that's not what you wanted to talk about, but I I do enjoy. They get a little into the the numbers, like you and I prefer to do. I agree. I mean, I think I think CNBC does more quote unquote newsy things, where Bloomberg sticks to to finance a little more. And and they get technical. I mean, we're technical analysts, you know. Though, though we don't use that as a primary method of you know making trading decisions, of course. But yeah, I mean, I would agree. I, I think it's uh, and you were I, even that cheddar. I like the graphics on Cheddar Business, by the way. You were on that a couple of weeks ago, and and uh, they do the the purple, right, or the 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 pink. Yeah, it's like a pink, a purple. Yes, they've been around for five years. They're 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 for real. Uh, I think at first people weren't sure, but they are definitely doing. They're doing their thing. They're for real. That you can get on. Uh, you can actually Bloomberg via the app, but you can also get Cheddar Business um, on Pluto app, which has a lot of free stuff. Anyway, this is not the podcast to talk about streaming. That's other podcasts. Uh, actually, before before I transition to, because we want to talk about CPI, shipping container prices, uh, I may be call, making a call there. And I, and I say that jokingly, because uh, none of us will ever trade off that. And then, and then really our primary thing is some interesting numbers and research you've been doing on tech earnings before and after the release. But Jay Succession comes back this weekend on HBO, the third season. And, uh, you know, it's, it is a lot of family dynamic in that, but it is loosely on, on business. There's some M&A mergers and acquisitions stuff in there, but, uh, I, I give a strong recommendation for for uh, that's on my conviction list, Jay. I think you you would yeah, agree. and you turned me onto it. I uh, I wasn't always sure to watch it. You said, Jay, trust me, watch it. I watched it, and it was a great recommendation, Derek. It's it's one of your better ones. You've had some great recommendations for yes. Now thank that we're, you. we're in the binge working binge watching world, 
uh, binge working. Yeah, that's like not a new thing. Bin- but binge watching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, great, great, great show. I would I recommend Succession too. You know, like hostile takeovers, right? Private equity, all kinds of financial uh, uh, connections within that show. The guy, yeah, and the guy who play. I mean, all the char- the character actors are tremendous, and I think. You know, if, if you've never watched it, go back and watch season one and season two, obviously, before you watch uh, the premiere of season three. But it starts off a little bit slow, and you, you just got to sort of let it get get going. But uh, but yeah, no, I agree. There's, you know, Billions, uh, Billions just ended, and Billions has a lot of stuff in it, too. Although I was laughing. I don't know if you remember the episode where the compliance guy uh, came in and, and grabbed the, the marker. And he starts writing a formula on the board. And it was, I think it was supposed to be a value at risk formula. And I froze the screen and I tried to, I looked at it. I'm like, I don't think that's really the complete value at risk formula. I don't know what that was. Did you, you saw that though, right? I, I did. And he actually, he, he did make a mistake. And then later in the show, they're like, uh, you're wrong. You got the wrong numbers. Going. It's, I think it's what they were trying to get out of, uh, out of like an energy uh, position. It was like a natural gas. And uh, they were trying to get out of a position and they were, pushing the positions out to all their brokered sources. That was a very tradey, you know, like a trade-ish type uh, uh, episode. Love Billions. It's really, I feel Billions is mandatory watching in our industry. I don't know a single trader that doesn't watch Billions. Yeah, it's a billion succession. And then, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously Wall Street is the uh, quintessential uh, classic from 1987, believe it or not, that was so long ago. Uh, but uh, anyway, Gordon Gecko's. Greed, yeah, get, greed is get good. Go. Do you know? I, so, did you have suspenders? I had suspenders, and I had a blue shirt with a white collar back when I worked on Wall Street. Not, not when I worked uh, in finance, but in a restaurant, I did. But that's a yeah. whole different lifetime ago. Yeah. Okay. No, right. Yeah, that's like a, like a Farrell's. <laughs> like, were you working at a Farrell's restaurant with the? Yeah, I have my I have my, my flair, you know, and uh, <laughs> have my seventeen pieces of flair. So, yeah, know what that is. All right. So uh, transitioning from suspenders, blue shirts, and white collars, uh, which Gordon Gecko, of course, uh, donned in that movie. Some news this week. Uh, let's start here. Uh, I, I say this with a smile and air quotes. Congratulations to people getting Social Security. Uh, it looks like you're going to get about a 5.9% cost of living adjustment or COLA. And the way they do that, and, and before anyone emails in and says, you know, there, there's something nefarious here. They look at Q3 of last year to Q3 of this year. The reason why they do that and not Q4, you know, year end to year end is you have to make these changes. You know, the, the final, um, uh, you know, inflation numbers don't come out until October that ended in September. So if you waited till the end of the year, you wouldn't know the change until January and then the year already started. So they got to get the checks ready. But 5.9%, Jay, that's probably the biggest we've seen in uh, 30 years. Yeah. I mean, since I've been looking at it, for sure, I wasn't really looking at uh, those changes in my uh, early 20s. But uh, yeah, this is a big deal. And it's great that it's appropriate. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that even though the the savers of the world have been kind of hurt by lower rates over the last, gosh, you know, decade, uh, this is something when inflation actually helps uh, people that uh, that are that are that are getting paid on that. You know, when we do our math, Derek. That's a data point that we that we input, right? When we try to figure out, okay, 
based off of when you're going to retire, when you're going to take Social Security, how much you're going to take in, how much do we have to make to offset your additional expenses. It's a real important number. And this is uh, this is a high one for sure. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. And you're right. It does. Uh, maybe in a future episode, we'll talk a little bit about some of the ways we do that because we've got a I'll put a link in the show notes if anybody wants to check out uh, Zega's uh, growth simulator. So there you can type in expectations and uh, for returns and and what you need in retirement. Anyway, I'll I'll put that in the show notes, but we'll definitely come back to that on a future episode. It is interesting though, Jay. Uh, the CPI, the way the weights of the CPI, the items in the CPI. So that's you know soup, uh, washers and dryers, housing, all that stuff. Uh, they are going to change in 2022. Uh, I think it could be a subtle change, but I haven't really dug into it. I saw a note on the BLS, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, that uh, in 2022, they're going to use the 2019 to 2020 consumer expenditure uh, weighting. And the way they do that is they look at different states and they roll it up to regions and then they roll it up to an aggregate. And so it's, you know, what did you spend? And then what did you spend the stuff on? Um, don't know if it's going to be that much of a change, but it is something to to watch for. Uh, Jay, I don't know if you have any comments on that. Uh, well, you know, the way that math is done is never really capturing what people are spending anyway, right? No, in general, people don't spend exactly to the ratios that calculate that go into the calculation of CPI, right? And heck, Food and energy and the core calculation come out most of the time anyway. So, you know, I know a lot of folks feel that that data is um, not really representative of their actual additional expenses due to inflation. However, I do want to remind people that you need to set a benchmark somewhere to at least look at the, sa- the rate of change of the same things over time. So I think a lot of people will dismiss that number as, well, that's not really what I'm going through. And that's true. There's probably nobody that goes through the exact rate of inflation that that number reports and the weighting that's in that. However, it is a general gauge of the rate of change of all of those different pieces. And so I just, you know, I like to remind people that uh, we know it's not you. We know it's not what you're experiencing. It's not what anybody exactly experiences anyway, but it's just meant to be a gauge for the entire space uh, of how inflation is affecting the U.S. economy. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you didn't say it in what you just said there, but you've said before on air and off that inflation is is personal to the individual. And I think it's a great point you bring up. You know, if you lived in, uh, like when I lived in New York City and didn't really drive, you took the subway, you know, energy prices didn't really affect me. I wasn't filling up gas. Now, if I took a, a, a cab, I suppose energy prices would filter through as a trickle down. Uh, but you know, take someone who's retired and is lo- no longer paying for anyone's education, much less their own. If education goes up 50%, it's irrelevant to them. But certainly it's not irrelevant to the parents who are paying for, you know, have someone going into college in a couple of years. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's like if it is somebody really, I always said I would do this, Jay, but it's, it seems like a lot of work. Like go to the grocery store and look at the stuff I buy and just start charting it. And do that for a while and, and do your personal, you know, expenditures. Maybe somebody will create an app for that. Well, listen, I think, well, listen, I bet Amazon with their Whole Foods acquisition has been planning on what your refrigerator looks like for a long time now. And they're going to plan on how often you use something and why not track what you paid to have it. I think that's all data that 
Amazon will eventually give us, don't you think? I mean, heck, Amazon has given us stats on football players right now. I see that on uh, on the commercials every week this this time of year. Why would they not give me the stats on my milk and cereal too? I bet they could do that. Yeah, maybe they don't want you to know with everything you're buying is going up or down. But uh, speaking of prices going up or down, Jay, the other news of the week was uh, Joe Biden was out. I think he was out in California and he's going to end the shipping crisis. Um, I, um, I I say this again with a smile and a bit of sarcasm. You know, we, we've been really early on on the container shipping issue. Uh, we joke around because on, during our investment committee meetings, we sort of go around the room and, and just throw in a couple topics. Doesn't mean we're going to do anything on it. Of course, we're always hedged and we have a systematic process. But it's just the things we're watching. You and others pro- probably laughed at me when I brought up shipping container prices a long time ago. Uh, to me, this feels a little bit contrarian. And I did see that uh, for Shanghai to uh, container rates for Shanghai to LA and Shanghai to New York, uh, they ticked down. So I don't know, Jay, maybe this is, and it seems like the congestion is is easing in China where, where they have been 24-7 for for some time. So uh, I don't know, Jay, I, I, maybe this is a little contrarian and, and, and we'll start to see easing of shipping container prices. Well, yeah. So listen, there's, there is no doubt you were early to the party on this one, not being wrong early, but you recognized it. Actually, you, re- you were on it as soon as that tanker got stuck in the Suez Canal, right? The evergreen. Two, actually, two months earlier, Jay. Because remember, that was the thing that one, one of us saw and said, oh, no, this is really on the front oh, no. page. Are you kidding me? Here comes Derek with more container yeah. shipping costs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're definitely early on it. But, you know, you, we have uh, – it's definitely something that we have watched as a reflection of potential increases in supply costs um, for sure that has started to trickle its way more into mainstream. I think two weeks ago, I think some of the news media, I think it was CNBC did a whole, you know, they, they had somebody in Shanghai and somebody in a boat outside of LA, right? And then another person was in the port and another person was in Cleveland waiting for the ship. It was, there was a whole big to do on it. And, and you were definitely ahead of uh, the curve on this one. I, I am with you from a contrarian perspective that it is played out. It is in the media. It is in the news. It is in households now. Uh, I won't say who, but one of the wives of someone on our investment committee said, hey, I think shipping container costs are up. And that was it, right? That's that's the top. Not that she's not educated on this. She is. She's clearly paying attention. But it's like when the you know, the, the, the taxi driver tells you to buy Bitcoin or your uh, stylist tells you, hey, we should have bought Yahoo a few years ago, right? Like, what? Yahoo, look at me. I'm really dating myself there. But I'm going back to the internet bubble, right? So when I think about these bubbles and how they uh, the media then makes it so prolific that it trickles down to everybody, the top is in. Yeah, I think it's and, and I always tell the story. I've told it before. I, I won't tell the whole story, but I'm, I'm sitting in my dentist chair watching uh, not because I, I chose to watch Kathy Lee Gifford and um, the the show where they used to drink wine together and and uh, what was that on NBC Today Show like the after anyway so and I remember the 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 rice crisis that was uh, bags of rough rice and people were hoarding it at Costco and prices were going through the roof and I'm sitting in the dentist chair and I hear Kathy Lee Gifford show a chart of rice. You never see a chart of rice on CNBC, much less on the Today Show extension. 
And she says, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, people are saying they're running, you know, you, you'll never get rice again. Who knows how high it will be? That was the top. That was the top. I actually traded it. I didn't have the guts to stay in the short position, uh, but I made a little money on that, on that one. Um, yeah. Don't, don't trade rough rice, by the way, that it's very liquid. <laughs> Nobody trades that. Um, or, or trade if you know something about it. I don't know, but yeah, Jay, I mean, that, I always think about that and, uh, you know, that was a real extreme one. So we'll see. I mean, I, I think if uh, some of the, you know, one of the things too, I think during the pandemic is like in Arizona, they were talking about, uh, remember toilet paper and uh, different items, hand sanitizer, like you couldn't get it in store fast enough. And there was a law that you couldn't deliver at night to grocery stores. And so our governor in Arizona just signed an executive order and did an emergency declaration. So no, you could deliver at night. So don't you think, Jay, that that some of the the post pandemic and some of the the stuff in in these crises that we're having will lead to people taking a fresh look at things and maybe, you know, why can't we do this? Right? I mean, that, that's always the case too. Yeah, and and things are different now. Things are changing. Um, you you brought up the pandemic there, and I I understand you're attaching it to business, but I you know I I've been doing a lot of travel. I don't know the next time we're going to be able to travel on an airplane without a mask. I think I've probably been to 17 cities in the last two months. And, you know, it just, it's, it's, it's regular. It's the regular thing now, right? Obviously. So, you know, we always see changes when there's a, uh, uh, you know, large scale impact to our social behavior. And uh, I'm not sure what's going to stick around on this, but yeah, why not? Right. We are, uh, things get better. We are advancing as uh, uh, infrastructure-wise and technology-wise and information-wise. And I think information is probably that key piece. And uh, I think if you could get people to work those hours, then why not? I think that ends up, let's tie this back to the supply chain problem. Let's talk about workers and wages for a minute, Derek, because you know that continues to be an issue. Um, uh, and I'm not, you know, I'm not, saying everyone that's on, you know, getting stimulus checks isn't going to work out that like that story's over in my mind. But I, it still seems a little perplexing to me that we have four and a half million jobs outstanding still that were lost during COVID of 2020 that haven't been filled. And, you know, I see uh, a lot of people working you know, new workers at certain jobs, you know, don't know how to work the register yet. I'm glad they're doing it, but it just feels like we still have this worker shortage, Derek. And I, I don't know if you want to play that into the whole supply versus demand driven inflation or how deep you want to go on that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it goes back to, you've been mentioning, I think you mentioned on your, um, one of your media appearances that if we see wages increase, um, much more than expected or, or at a much higher rate of change that could put pressure on, you know, inflationary pressure on the overall question though, you know, it's only been, I guess, two months since a lot of the States ended the, the expanded unemployment. I think California is still doing some version of it, but maybe that this just needs a little bit more time to, uh, to settle in. And the other question that we really won't know is, you know, I don't know how many people started businesses that, that aren't taking these jobs, you know, the, the survey, it's a survey data. And so one might think that, you know, the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics has this computer and, and knows what everybody's doing at every point. 
but it's a survey and you extrapolate based on survey data and, and go into something else. But yeah, I, I think I'm watching that. I'm watching that with you. Um, one thing on inflation, though, I, I do watch the sticky CPI versus the flexible CPI. And throughout this whole bit, Jay, uh, the, the sticky CPI, things that are less apt to change, really hasn't moved. I mean, the, it's 2.8% on the sticky stuff right now. I mean, we were at 27 2.8% in different p- points in 18 and 19, and nobody was you know, throwing up roadblocks, right? So the last time the, that stuff went up was the late 70s. So, you know, I'm not making a contrarian call on inflation. I just think it's really mixed right now. And, and I think you're right to point to the employment stuff because that's going to inform a lot of our, our information going forward for sure. Yeah. You know, when I think about the, the important data points to me, whether this is supply-driven or demand-driven inflation, it are things like PPI the producer price index, which tells us the cost that it the uh, that it takes to make things, right? That's supply chain cost and wage growth, uh, wage rate change, I should say, right? So well, I watch those two data points as kind of the key items to help clue me in if this is more supply or versus demand driven, transitory or sticky. And the last, uh, you know, between today, which is the 14th, we saw PPI data, the core came in, it was expected 0.5%, came in at 0.2%, so definitely less than expected. Um, and then wage growth we saw on, uh, what was it, Friday, right? That was October, I don't go on dates-wise, Friday, October 8th. Um, that jobs report was weak and wage growth was not high. And so, you know, when you look at those things, um, I'm not convinced it's going to stick around either. Um, I probably feel a little more, um, uh, what's the word I'm searching for? I guess a a little more uh, uh, supportive of the idea that this may not be around too long and we just have to work things through the system. We got this, you know, it's the, it's the pig and the Python analogy where you get this bump and it's just got to continue to work its way through the system and it eventually will kind of die down by the time it gets to the end of this. Um, I, you know, it's, it's hard to know if, if we're there yet, there's no, there's no hard evidence to say, yeah, this is cost and supply driven inflation, uh, versus just, uh, anything that's transitory. Nope. I agree. And I think that's the, the thing with all the stimulus is I, I've more in the camp that this is, was a supply side issue, not a demand side issue. And as we've said, uh, recently, if you throw too much money on a supply side uh, issue, you're going to have, you know, price increases. So, um, before we transition over to the uh, the tech stocks, you know, one thing I'll throw out uh, that I'll be watching is uh, gross output. So that's GO, gross output. Um, I'll, I'll spend 20 seconds on this before I transition. But GDP is the the final finished product. That's that's everything. You know. A baseball hat is just the price of the baseball hat, right? Gross output measures the 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 different outputs at at different parts of the creation of the product. So it's the plastic, it's the it, so though sometimes gross output is something that uh, can give a little bit of a tell on the economy. And I'm just curious what Q3 comes out at, uh, but that's for another time. For this time, though, Jay, I know you did some research on some of the the price action uh, before and after some of the key tech earnings. 
And I thought it was interesting because, it, you know, you'll explain kind of your analysis there, but it was mixed and then there was pretty consistent in, in what happens post earnings. So uh, tell us a little about that. Yeah. Uh, so there is a week every quarter where many of the major tech companies report. So uh, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, Google, Facebook, they all seem to cram their earnings into one week. And we've kind of labeled that tech week uh, internally. Um, of course, other companies like Netflix and Intel do it at different times. They're also a very large IBM, right? But but those are the ones that we feel have A, the large market cap and B, uh, uh, an influence on not only the NASDAQ 100, but also the S&P. And so when you look at the two weeks preceding the first release of those, I'm going to call those big five, right? Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, Facebook. If you look at the first two weeks leading into those uh, reporting, um, it's kind of choppy. You know, it's up, it's down, there's no real pattern, it doesn't seem to matter. But after the first one reports, there is a pretty consistent pattern that I think seven out of the last eight quarters, the NASDAQ 100, some people trade it with the QQQs or the NDX, if you know the futures, um, are the, the I think it's 87% of the time, right? Seven out, seven out of eight times, the market is higher. And it's higher by close to 2% from the first uh, one that reports. And this time around, the first one reporting is Facebook on the 25th. So we're in that two-week period of chop now that started on Monday. Could be up, could be down. Certainly this week has felt choppy today that we're doing this podcast on the 14th. It's, it's a strong day in the market, but it hasn't been that way uh, you know, all four days leading into this Thursday. Um, it's just it – is, it is a notable pattern. Obviously, nothing's guaranteed. It's not eight out of eight times. It's seven out of eight times when you look at the last couple of years. So, you know, it's just a, uh, you know, I, I think we could talk about the why in a moment, but the, the you know, it's, it is a clear uh, uh, pattern of, you know, an increasing value in that tech heavy NASDAQ 100 after the first one of those large stocks report in that tech week. So what I'm, what I'm seeing here, and obviously our listeners can't, uh, uh, can't see this, but uh, paint a, a visual picture. Is when you say the the f- two weeks prior to the first report, it's it's what's the performance of these stocks that you mentioned prior to the perf- uh, the the release of the first earnings report from the first company that releases. So of the five, two weeks prior to the first one announcing earnings, and then this is the the returns. And yeah, Jay, I mean. It, it is choppy, and I think that's probably, you know, and we see this around Fed announcements, right? I mean, don't you think that's some people trying to figure out, do I really want to take a, a strong conviction play one way or another? They just want to wait for the news, and then once one announces the news, it, it's kind of, there's a correlation with the others. At least that's the way I see it, right? It, it gives a tell once the first one comes out, right? It, it certainly can. Um, you know, on an individual stock by stock basis, it's not nearly as uh, obvious as uh, as it is versus that whole Nasdaq 100. That's 
the 100 stocks, I think it's actually 101 stocks because Google's in there twice, uh, the 101 stocks in the NASDAQ 100, um, you know, the you may get a good report out of Microsoft and Microsoft may not move that much because it might have moved up, but it could ripple through to the other types of software companies that are involved that are in that index. So, yeah, it's a little bit of, uh, you know, in general, companies tend to... Um, uh, you know, beat earnings. I think the number historically is like 65, 68% of the time companies will exceed their earnings estimates. Um, that's a little bit of, you know, maybe things are good or maybe things are, you know, management is, you know, managing their number so they could exceed. Who knows? Uh, but I, I think it is true, Derek, that once you start to uh, see kind of the first glimmer of what, you know, those large companies are going to do, it does create that ripple effect of uh, some sort of, uh, of bullish uh, sentiment, right? And the market isn't always up, right, obviously. But uh, it seems like during this period of time, uh, you know, the market generally, especially the NASDAQ, generally appreciates. When I think about earnings estimates, and, and you and I go back to, to the 90s, and I don't, it was like in the 1990s. Remember the, the earnings whisper was the thing. So you had the analyst estimates. They had to beat the estimate. And then the whisper number. You don't really hear much about the whisper anymore, do we? But that's, uh, do you remember that, Jay? Oh, yeah, I do. And, we, you know, listen, we have a, a friend, a close friend of ours, a friend of Zega that specializes in trying to figure out the whisper number before the analysts do. And he does it using big data, right? He does it using things like, you know, uh, digital footprint and artificial intelligence. Um, but yeah, so there are ways now to get kind of ahead of what a company has said by looking at other metrics. It's, you know, Derek, it's almost like, uh, we talked about shipping, but going to the parking lot of, uh, of a port and looking how many containers came in or how many have been delivered, right? That's the old way, right? Or it used to be maybe buying the 800, uh, number logs for retailers like Sears or, uh, you know, anybody that put out a catalog, right? Like you could get data like that where you could be ahead of what actually the company reports, right? That's always been, there's nothing illegal about that. If you do your research, you do your research. That's, that's totally fine. Um, but you know, the, the whisper number is less important to me these days than the, uh, forward guidance is right. Forward guidance ends up being a much bigger impact in my opinion. The other thing I notice on on your data, so you have the two weeks prior to the first report, uh, the first report to plus two weeks, and two weeks prior to two weeks after the the first report. So, you know, in the first report plus two weeks, to me that says, okay, all of the the ones that are going to report, they should have reported in those two weeks, correct? Yes, they would have all been in within that period of time. In the first one, usually they're within three or four days of each other. Yes. So I look at this and I say, okay, if somebody was looking at this chart and, uh, by the way, the, the outliers are, I don't know if there's anything to the outliers. So you went back, uh, to Q3, I think of 2019 and the outliers really are, it looks like that there's, there's one sort of time when the, I think the Qs were down about over 4%, uh, two week prior to two weeks post the earnings of the first one. Is that, uh, that was Q3, Jay? I'm looking at, no, that was Q1 of 21, wasn't it, huh? Uh, so there's, yeah, the two outliers were, you know, the two weeks leading into earnings, the really bad one was Q3 of 2020. But then from the first report to the next two weeks, you're right, that bad one, the only one that I would say really is the outlier of the 
you know, from the first time they reported was Q1 of 2021, uh, you know, so first quarter of this year. Interesting that that's the case, but uh, we could maybe think about if it was the recovery play, uh, you know, where small caps exceeded, did very, very well. The Russell 2000 did very, very well during that time period, but the NASDAQ lagged and it was almost like a reopening type of a rotation that we saw in the market. Uh, that could be part of the reason for some of that. But you're right, Derek, the, the, the outliers are, you know, they're probably limited to some sort of, uh, or, or maybe accounted for by something that was going on, you know, in the macro environment at the time. I think one of the other things too, that, you know, we're obviously uh, manage option strategies and we're big on volatility. If I look at this and I didn't know anything about options, I say, well, this is really easy. I'm just looking at, you know, the first first uh, report to plus two weeks uh, or, you know, two weeks prior, two weeks after, I got a, a six and eight chance of the market being up. It, you know, again, we're only going back to, uh, you know, one of the quarters in 2019. I guess the challenge is, though, those options will have embedded implied volatility. They're going to be pricier before earnings. So, yeah, I mean, if if that's a game you want to play, you have to be right. And then you have to have the magnitude, right, Jay? Yeah, and yeah, it's it's price and time and magnitude when it comes to I would call this a two week trade, a speculative options trade, if that's how you wanted to use this data to trade. Um, we're, we're certainly not encouraging that. It's it's one of the, the reason we did this research was because the market just feels like it's got a little pressure on it right now, and I I thought it was important for people to know this is not unusual, right? Leading into big earnings, the market has a wait and see mentality which in general probably means a slight drift lower, especially with the other pressures that are going on right now. So, I, you know, this was not meant to produce, uh, you know, two-week long call or long put trading uh, results. It was more along the lines of, this isn't anything unusual that we're going through right now. Typically, between now and, say, two weeks after the first one of these that reports, which, again, we said was Facebook on the 25th, market is generally up. So give it time, have some faith. I would agree. I bring that up because someone listening might say, well, this this sounds like good odds. Uh, maybe I'll open an options account and start trading options. Don't do that. Uh, please don't do that. But yeah, it's uh, playing options or, or around earnings. Uh, they You're going to pay for that. Everybody know, you know, in, in, I don't know about you, Jay, when I first started trading options, I was on a, a desk with uh, a trading desk. And, you know, there are people who would, would buy straddles right before earnings and they're like, Oh, we know it's going to move. So they buy a call, buy a put at the money and just say, you know, I just need it to move. And I'd say, you realize that's already priced in. And now you're playing the game of, you know, if you're, if you're pricing in a 5% move and you only get a 4% move, then you lose money. That's a tough game to play. And I think getting back to the, uh, the purpose of the research, you know, we talk to people all the time and people have, you know, we're hedged, so it sort of takes away the, the reason to, to try and time the market. If you're hedged, it's okay. If it goes down, uh, okay. If it goes down too much or, or enough that I can actually monetize the hedges and, and buy some lower. But I think this is, I, I feel like the sentiment right now is there's a lot of people saying, Inflation is going to be out of control. Shipping container out of control. And that's really why I brought those up. Market is, is likely to be sideways or down. Uh, but here, looking at the analysis you've done, it would say, 
Okay. I'm not making a prediction, but it actually looks like once things settled, it, uh, it sort of rectified itself, right? Yeah, that, that's right. And, uh, you know, this doesn't mean for the rest of the year, you know, we continue to go higher. It's just, you know, it's a little bit of history that, you know, will hopefully give people some um, uh, confidence and comfort level of going, okay, I don't have to make any decisions right now. You know, the world is not necessarily falling apart yet. Right. So uh, that's it. Speaking of uh, not falling apart, the VIX is back under 20, Jay. Uh, you know, we're always volatility uh, centric and, and we watch that. I, I still think, though, I mean, for the amount of realized volatility that we haven't seen, meaning the actual price changes from, on a daily basis, the VIX is higher. And this is an environment where you know, for a small portion of, of client portfolios for the right clients, right? We might sell volatility. It's been a good environment because the whole game with selling volatility is you want to get paid more. Uh, you want to get paid for a move that's expected to be greater than the move that actually happens. But um, Jay, I, th- I feel like there's still that COVID premium built into VIX. I don't know about you. Well, I, yes. So, you know, we've seen the VIX try to get below 15, uh, you know, a few times this year, not many. It was uh, around June timeframe, and then it tried again in August. But that has been a floor. And that 15, 16 level is an interesting area when it comes to the VIX. Um, and we just, we, we continue to find that floor. So what, what a floor in the VIX means is, you know, that it would go down, then bounce up, and typically higher volatility means lower market moving. So, you know, all of those things are. It's just an interesting dynamic that uh, I think you're right. Some of it is the COVID premium that's still on there, although I feel like that's probably starting to come out a little bit. We obviously have a little bit of the political theater uh, that is playing out that uh, we, you know, typically dismiss. We're aware, but dismiss because uh, I forgot how that phrase goes, but. G- Give the government uh, all the options to do, and eventually they'll do the right thing, or maybe the last thing they do will be the right thing. I'm not sure what it is, but I think you know how that phrase goes. Um, you know that that's going to play itself out, right? We're not going to—I shouldn't say we're not. It's highly, highly unlikely that we default on our debt, right? That kind of stuff needs to be taken out, and if that's causing volatility, you should take advantage of that. Um, I, I think, Derek, that um, we have a, a one of our investment committee members who would tell us that. You know, look, uh, crypto has worked its way and the volatility of crypto has worked its way into the broader markets because there are companies, the S&P 500, that hold crypto on their balance sheet. Right. So, you know, things like that that are working their way in. I'm not sure if we're going to see a 13 VIX this year at all. Uh, It doesn't seem like we're going to. Definitely not below. Uh, I'm not sure if we'll see one next year. Right. Especially if inflation continues to be a concern and the Fed waiting to raise rates and waiting to taper. They gave us a little information about tapering the other day. Like all of these things are, you know, just finding their way into the options market because if insurance gets too cheap, it's going to be bought up because there's plenty of uh, potential fear in the market right now. More than more than usual, I would say, right? In the 20 plus years I've been trading, this obviously doesn't feel like a COVID or a 2008 situation, but there is a higher level of fear that I that I've observed emotionally within uh, market participants right now. It is interesting. It's sort of a contradiction in itself. The market on January sixth of twenty was around thirty two, uh, yeah, thirty two eighty four. So the S and P five hundred. And then if I want to look at 
you know, the market today is is forty four thirty as as we're we're taping this. The VIX on uh, you know January sixth of uh, twenty twenty, it closed at uh, twelve fifty six. I mean, that's you know, so it just kind of goes. We're higher. We are twelve hundred points higher, roughly. And the VIX, you know, was uh, was just about you know, what did I say it was twelve J? I moved my cursor. Yes. That's all right. Yeah. I, there's a lot of complacency at the end of 2019, right? There was, that was a strong fourth quarter of 2019. There was a lot of complacency. And it just, it goes to show that the forward looking or predictability of the VIX clearly is limited. <laughs> it won't always, you know, predict a black swan event, which I would put COVID in that category. Uh, and it missed it. I mean, it started going up and then it really went up. But, you know, when I talk about the VIX, it's, I know a lot of people use it as fear. I think it's more of a, uh, a speculative uh, index, right? How much people are willing to pay for speculation up or down. Um, it is forward looking and it probably is the, the best metric for gauging the emotional disposition of the market. The market's driven off fear and greed. We know this going to circle back to Gordon Gecko at this point. And, uh, you know, when those, when those emotions are moving, you'll see it reflected in the VIX, what people are willing to pay for a speculative move. That's really what the VIX tells us. Yep. No, I think that's right. By the way, Jay, I owned a, a pair of bull and bear suspenders. They had bulls and bears on them. Yeah. Cheesy. Say so right letters. I got the oh, cufflinks. You do? Okay. <laughs> I got the cufflinks. We would have matched. The bear cufflinks. <laughs> <laughs> I actually wore them when we uh, when we rang the bell at the New York Stock Exchange. Oh, nice! I felt that was nice. appropriate. Yeah. yeah. If anyone wants to go to zegafinancial.com, you can see uh, see the picture. By the way, you mentioned crypto, and and uh, uh, in the time we have left, I, I I can't let the comment go about crypto of Jamie Dimon. Um, you know, Jamie Dimon basically called crypto, I, I hope I'm quoting correctly, but some, some things either can of it's, it's a fraud, but you know, his clients like it. So uh, I have been a Bitcoin or a crypto skeptic, Jay. And I, I, at this point, I'm willing to say that Bitcoin is, is an asset that people can buy and, and sell. I don't think it's a, it's a currency. And in my mind, when you show Bitcoin slash US dollar, it's, this is, you know, to me, it's, it's just an asset. Um, and I think there's a lot of coins that are coming into the market. I worry about, you know, I mean, Dogecoin was a fake coin, but it is, it is an asset, Jay. And it is, there is tons of volatility in there. And yeah, I mean, the, the point about bringing that volatility over and, and yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting way of looking at it, Jay, is, is that has to be looked at now in, in the case for volatility. Yeah, you, you, you can't ignore it. It's in there. It's in the market. It's uh, market cap is growing. What, I think what Jamie Dimon said was Bitcoin is worthless. Right? I, don't, I don't know if the most recent stuff was fraudulent. I don't think he accused it of being fraudulent, but he said it's worthless. And But you're right. He said, if my clients want it, I got to give them access to it because he's also a businessman and a banker. But uh, it, it's funny. Um, he said that. And by the way, Jamie Dimon has been saying that for over a year now, maybe longer uh, but he, you know, they are so are in the point of de uh, developing their own coin. Now it'll be a tethered coin, like one that's locked into, you know, specific value. Um, but it's hard to say that the blockchain is fraudulent. 
I don't think we've proven out its viability, security, um, um, and uh, uh, capacity yet. But you know, you want to call Bitcoin worthless? Fine, it's what you get paid to host a, a blockchain. And I haven't heard him say the blockchain is worthless yet. Yeah, thanks for correcting me. Uh, uh, he said it was worthless. The, thank you. Uh, I don't want to get sued by anybody, much less a company with billions of dollars and and lawyers. So uh, Jamie Dime, by the way, many years ago, this is probably uh, 93, 94, I was at uh, Smith Barney and Jamie Dimon was there. And I'm not saying I, Jamie Dimon and I interacted a lot, but it was interesting because I think Sandy Wyo was still the head of, of Smith Barney and they had bought Shearson. And, uh, you know, they sort of rolled up a bunch of stuff, but this was before the Citibank acquisition. And I can't tell you how many people told me, hey, watch, watch this guy. This guy's going to be the CEO one day. Like he, People knew about him really early, so it was, it was kind of interesting to see him ascend, uh, you know, to where he is. So, a little insight on Jamie Dimon from uh, from the mid '90s. So, there you go, Jay. Thanks for that. I was uh, that that is uh, that has helped me give a little vision here. He has been around a long time. Um, you know, J.P. Morgan. By the way, we have a friend of ours, friend of this podcast that uh, actually works at J.P. Morgan. Um, there's lots of CEOs there, right? He's the CEO of the CEOs there, right? Because there's a lot of independent companies under that umbrella to your point how they've rolled things up and different business lines but yeah the the i think i saw recently two hundred and sixty thousand employees at jp uh, at jp morgan chase that's a lot it's a lot of people to employ yeah i mean they're, they're one of the worldwide leaders in banking i mean they, they've done of all the banks uh, i think they've done even going back to the financial uh crisis i mean they they were fine and all that i think for the most part um you know, in fact, they took on, didn't they? Are they the ones who took on Bear Stearns? Did they take yep, on Bear? He took, they took Bear Stearns. Yep. They took him in 07. Correct. And I don't know if it was Wachovia too. Did they take them? I don't remember. No, no. That was uh, Wells Fargo. That was what? Okay. So, all right. Well, Jay, I of think course, we've- Bank uh, of America took Merrill. Yes, we, could, we, we don't have to go down that memory lane. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this this is good, Jay. You got to to test out some material as uh, I, I always call it, a, everyone gets a first look here before you you uh, you try the material on the uh, the national stage. Um, the uh, And to make sure we don't get sued by anyone, of course, uh, we're not making recommendations on anything we've said today. The part, part of what we do, I mean, it always goes back to why we hedge. We always tell people we don't really pick market directions. We have opinions, but it's about uh, putting people in place to have protection on the downside. And then for a little bit of portfolios for the right clients, we might take advantage of volatility. But uh, that's a conversation between uh, uh, you, the listener, and uh, you know your advisor or us. So, Jay, thanks again for uh, for coming on. Appreciate the uh, the time, and uh, we'll we'll have to talk succession next time. Maybe not, maybe because we don't want to spoil it for people. But uh, maybe we'll let it run a few episodes and, and and talk about how much we like it. Right. Yep. Absolutely. All right. This has been episode one hundred and thirty eight. Jay, thanks again. Good luck on uh, uh, mornings with Maria. And uh, I will tape it as uh, unless I'm still up, you know, at 3.59 in the morning. I'll, uh, I'll watch that. Thanks, Jay. We'll talk to everyone next week. Bye.